Welcome to Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker, and I am an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. And I really love having geeky conversations with people about new things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. We continue this week listening in on a roundtable talk that took place last year. Dr. Yeshaya Gruber from IBC interviewed Dr. Amy Jill Levine and Dr. Mark Brettler about their new book that is called The Bible With and Without Jesus, How Jews and Christians Read the Same Stories Differently. I really love these roundtable talks because you get to hear from some of the best scholars outside of IBC. So if you have not yet explored the large collection of these talks, you really should. You'll find them at IsraelBibleCenter.com. Last week, you heard Dr. Levine say this about the New Testament. These are Jewish texts for the most part. Um, some of them are written by Jews, like the letters of Paul, because Paul is clearly Jewish. Paul's the only Pharisee from whom we have written records. Um, the Gospels talk about major Jewish figures like Jesus and Jesus' mother Mary and the Apostle Peter and so on. Um, so if, if we Jews want to know more about our own history, the New Testament is actually one of our best sources, along with Josephus and Philo and the Dead Sea Scrolls and so on, for understanding first century Jewish history. If I want to know about women in the Galilee, the New Testament is, in fact, one of my best sources. So we should be able to agree that the Tanakh, or Old Testament, is fundamentally significant for Jews, and it also should be for Christians, and that the New Testament is fundamentally significant for Christians, but it should also be for Jews. But what about rabbinic material? I wanted to find out Dr. Shazer's perspective because his PhD was on reading Matthew and rabbinic material together. So what is his take on rabbinic material? And my guess is that if you're an IBC student, his opinion will not surprise you. Although his rock star status might just wait for it. I got interested in, in rabbinic literature fairly early on. I, I can give you a little bit of my actual, like, religious background here. Um, I, uh, I grew up Catholic, uh, Irish. My mother is completely Irish on her side, 100%. And so Irish Catholic, right? Like, kind of no matter what you do in your life, you're always Irish Catholic, you know, <laughs> regardless of what's bobbling around in your head. It, it, it definitely has an ethnic component to it. And in that way, it's not unlike, you know, Judaism, right? both in ethnicity and religious uh, belief or religious thought. So, um, uh, and then I, I started attending, when I was around in high school, some, a non-denominational uh, church, and the pastor there actually married my wife and me. Uh, and so I had a really, still a good, strong relationship with him in that church. Um, and so I, I kind of had a, a foot in both camps, right, between Catholicism and Protestantism. And I never, like, renounced my Catholicism. Like, again, when you're Irish Catholic, it's impossible, right? So, um, and I never necessarily identified as Protestant either. So I was always kind of sort of this strange intermundia, you know. I never identified necessarily with a denomination or a Christian tradition. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's uh, in retrospect, it was, it was really important for me that that 
that it cashed out the way that it did, um, because it's given me a lot of comfort living in both in both Christian denominational worlds. Um, and then I got just deeply obsessed with what, the Old Testament, with the Hebrew Bible. Um, uh, around this is after college, I read it several times, and then realized like I should probably learn the original language. So um, I uh, I just got a book on Amazon, a, a Hebrew grammar book, and I just learned it on um, your own. Yeah. Yep. I knew that I needed to understand the text of, of the Hebrew Bible better. Uh, and I, I just wanted to know what other people thought. And I thought, like, I don't know, who knows better than than rabbis? You know what I mean? Like, they're fluent in Hebrew. Like, they'll, they'll be able to tell me. And then, and then I kind of realized that the whole mountain of Jewish literature out there very early on after the time of Jesus that, that discusses this material. Now, I wasn't grinding through, like, Mishnah. I wasn't grinding through, like, track track Pesachim or something like that, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how, how to do a Seder. But, but I was looking at, you know, narratival commentary on, on biblical books that, that aren't necessarily legal, so, like, stuff on Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. Um, I just wanted to understand it from a Jewish perspective, and I, I guess I just defaulted and said, who knows more about this than, than the rabbis do? Um, it just kind of happened that way, I think. I was in a strange situation at the time. I was living in London, and I was in a rock band. And so, like, that was my job, you know? Like, I had a lot of free time on my hands, like, to read the Bible and, uh, and learn Hebrew. And so, eventually, after I love several, this story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to be much cooler. I'm now a total Bible nerd. Um, I'm a big geek. But there was a time in my life when I was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Anyway, after several years in London, I, I just knew I had to go back to, to school and do this. So I, I moved back to the, the U.S. and um, ended up at Vanderbilt University studying with Amy Jill Levine. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've been immersed very early on, by the way, when after I learned Hebrew, I started reading rabbinic literature. So in my early 20s, I was reading the Talmud and, and associated literature, and I was just always fascinated by it. For me, the it's really difficult to understand Jesus in in the clearest way that we can that's available to us without understanding rabbinic literature. Um, there are all sorts of things that like line up between what Jesus says and what you know certain rabbis say, for example, um, things that are so that sound so Christian and yet you can find equivalents in rabbinic literature. So for example, in, in Mark Jesus says, you know, um, the Sabbath was made for humanity, not humanity for the Sabbath, right? So, like, that sounds so Christian. Like, I mean, I remember growing up and hearing that phrase over and over and over. Well, Jesus says that. That's a Christian term. But you can go into rabbinic literature a couple centuries after Jesus in a, in a text called Mechilta de Rabbi Ishmael, and there's a similar discussion. And the conclusion of the discussion is the Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath. I mean, it's the exact same phrase, um, and I, I don't think that the rabbis were reading the New Testament in the second and third centuries. The, the point is, is that Jesus is pulling from a common Judaic well of exegesis and understanding of Scripture. I find this all interesting because it influences the matters of interpretation. How do we interpret the ancient text? What language or translations are we using? What traditions do we bring with us to the conversation that end up influencing how we interpret the text? Dr. Brettler and Dr. Levine say in their book that the Bible itself is less important in Judaism than the Bible interpretations, 
Okay, so what does that mean? And is it the same for Christians? Let's listen to what they said during the roundtable talk. First of all, any literary work needs to be interpreted. Almost anything written needs to be interpreted. I mean, I, somebody gives me a grocery list and I go to the store <laughs> and I deal with that as a literary work. And aside from abbreviations, you know, they tell me to get orange juice. I mean, what am I getting? Am I getting with pulp, without pulp? Am I getting frozen? Am I getting fresh squeezed? Am I getting super premium? I mean, the notion that the meaning of any literary text is obvious, is a false notion. This is especially true of religious texts. And this is especially true of, and these are two separate things, of composite religious texts and of old religious texts, which are written in a language which often is opaque. So let me just for a minute talk about each of them. From my scholarly perspective, the Bible, even the Torah is a composite text. And as such, it contains contradictions. Well, once you view the text as the Bible, again, with scare quotes around it, you somehow or other need to deal with those contradictions to resolve them. That requires interpretation. And that is so much of what the rabbinic venture is really about. I mean, secondly, the Bible, and this is true both the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, and the Greek New Testament, nobody knows these languages perfectly. Hebrew changed after the Tanakh was written. The, The Greek of the New Testament was not the same as the Greek of two or three centuries later. So there are difficult words, there are difficult grammatical forms. Scholars like using fancy words, like hapax legomena, words which appear only once, and therefore we're not really sure what they mean. And that requires interpretation. And different people naturally interpret things differently. So maybe this is a bit of a polemic. All literary works need to be interpreted in a particular context. But what's the context of a particular word? Is it the verse? Is it the paragraph that it's in? Is it the book that it's in? Is it the corpus that it's in? Is it the entirety of the Tanakh in my case? So changing context also changes interpretation. So it is very, very rare that you show in a straightforward way the one clear meaning of the Bible. And even if there was an original meaning, an argument that we're really trying to make in the Bible with and without Jesus throughout is that in each chapter, we look at three meanings, three interpretations of the Bible, what we think it meant originally in the Tanakh and the early ancient Israel context, what it came to mean within Judaism. And there very often there's a whole range of meanings and what it came to mean within Christianity. And there as well, there often is a range of meanings it might not be as great a range of meanings as within Judaism. And AJ will pick up on this because Christian readings tend to be very Christ-centric. So that often is going to rein in the range of interpretations. But even when you're Christ-centric, you can have an awful lot of interpretations of biblical verses. 
uh, traditional Jewish interpretation does not have a center like interpretation via Jesus that the Christian community had from its earliest time through many people today. Just like Dr. Brettler said, there are different levels of meaning to the text. And that's before we even fold in issues of translation. We think we are reading a simple meaning in the text, but I always like to ask people which language are they reading the text in and what associations do they have with those words from their own cultures. If we're reading English and Hebrew separately, we might be reading different meanings. For example, there's the word Torah. We can then read that as law and law versus teaching. Like that's a whole different type of connotation that is built into the word itself. So even though we're reading the same word, Torah, someone could be thinking law, legalism, oppression, I hate this. And someone else is thinking all the human wisdom that I need. In some cases, I think that the Torah can be translated law. Certainly the Septuagint translators, the Greek translators of the Hebrew Bible, thought that that was the case because they translated Torah with nomos in Greek, which can mean law. It doesn't have to, by the way, um, at least not in a like a, a Greco-Roman legal sense. Uh, but you're absolutely right, Cindy. As as Christians, you know, you, you, you come to the text and you think law, you think legalism, you think something onerous and difficult, whereas... A, a Jewish person thinks Torah and they think joy. They think God's gift. They think divine instruction. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely wrong to think of the Torah as a, as a quote unquote legal document with a capital L. Genesis hardly has any legal material in it at all. It's a narrative. Half of Exodus hardly has any legal material at all. Um, numbers actually. Um, and that's that's deep into the Torah now. You, like numbers is Torah, capital T. You know how much narrative is in numbers? Um, to, to think of that as like the first 11 chapters or something is genealogy. And then you get the rebellion of Korah against Moses. You get the snakes in the wilderness biting the Israelites. Um, you get all sorts of stuff. I mean, I would say there's more narrative almost in numbers than there is quote unquote legal matter, um, or at least it's close. Um you know, Deuteronomy, how much of that is Moses retelling the narrative of Numbers and Exodus? That's narrative, you know? Um, so it's just, it's not a good way to understand. It's not a bunch of laws. And I think that the notion, the Christian notion that it is a bunch of laws has actually um, done a disservice in Christian circles to, it's almost like discouraged Christians from reading that material. But the truth is that is the pillar of everything else, including everything Jesus of Nazareth says. And so it's just, it has to be kind of a first things situation with Christianity. Unfortunately, yeah, even stepping up and deciding before you open page one, this is the kind of document I'm reading that can change the game completely. I think that a good practice for Christians, right, from a Christian perspective, right, this is, that's what I'm giving, is how about like always give the benefit of the doubt. If ever you come up to something and ever you start you know, starts creeping into your head, um, this is legalism or th this, this Jewish stuff is, is, is somehow deficient in comparison with Jesus, with what Jesus says. If ever that starts to creep in there, 
grab it out of your mind and put it on a shelf and just let it sit there for a while. Always give the benefit of the doubt. So that is stepping up to the Torah, just put it on the shelf that it's a legal document. Just throw it there for a second. Don't throw it in the garbage, but put it on a shelf and try to read the text as sympathetically as you possibly can. And I, I think going back to, you know, like my backstory, that I just stepped up to the Torah with that inbuilt in me, that, that, that sympathy. Um, and I was just taken with the people of Israel. I wanted Abraham to succeed. <laughs> I wanted Isaac to succeed. Um, I wanted Jacob to succeed, even though Jacob's, you know, a little dicey and Joseph's kind of a punk or whatever. M- Moses, Moses, I'm, I'm, I want him out of Egypt. I, I want the Torah to be given to the people. I want the relationship between the God of Israel and the people of Israel to blossom. So at no point, actually, because I just didn't come at it that way. When I really started getting into the Bible, I came by way of the Torah. I came by way of the Old Testament and read it multiple times before even stepping up to the New Testament. In fact, I'd read all that rabbinic stuff before the New Testament. So by the time I get to Jesus, um, Jesus just becomes a very different entity than than the the um, Jesus on the cross in the Catholic elementary school I went to, right? Now it's a Judaic individual, right? Um, and so I just think that uh, I think it would be helpful for Jewish Christian relations, at least from the Christian perspective, if Christians could, would kind of step up and again, let that wave of the Torah just kind of do its work on them. And if you've got questions, right, if something seems weird and it will, don't worry, like Le- Leviticus is strange, you know, in, in places. <laughs> um, but again, just have it like get to Leviticus chapter 13 and, and skin ailments. This is starting to sound weird. OK, grab it. Put it on a shelf, take a deep breath, and just be nice for a while. You know, I, I just feel like if that was the posture of Christian readers, we would get a lot further in Jewish yeah. Christian dialogue. So every bit of literature, including ancient sacred literature, has to be translated. But language matters. Associated cultural meaning of the word in the mind of the modern audience matters. And then Dr. Levine brought up a fascinating point that is common among all of her Christian students as they think about being ministers in their local church. The text has to have some sort of harmony uh, because otherwise people won't have a, a common core of belief system. So that's where the creeds come in and the creeds wind up harmonizing the various texts. And that's how you can have your, your average Christmas pageant which will have the Magi over here and the shepherds over here. They're in different gospels. That's not the same story. Um, uh, and, and then you can add on stuff like, uh, you know, the littlest angel and Amal and the night visitors and a polar bear and Santa Claus. Um, so stuff gets added on. That's fine. Um, and is it divine? Absolutely, because it's the revelatory text given through human hands to be sure. But nevertheless, from the church's perspective, the book, you don't worship the book. That would be bibliolatry. That would be bad. But the book is pointing to d- the divine. So it's like a prayer tool that gets you there. So if I'm reading as an historian, none of this stuff works. If I'm reading as somebody who's trying to train a minister, I have to acknowledge all four of them. And then you alternate between what do I think the text meant historically to what has the text meant over the centuries to what does the text mean to you today in your current subject position. Because of the way Protestantism began with the idea of sola scriptura, Protestants have told themselves that the history of interpretation does not matter or is not nearly as significant as the biblical text itself. 
but that is repeated with little knowledge of how significant the interpreters or the commentators or the scholars of your community actually are. Dr. Levine mentioned the Christian urge to harmonize stories that are different, and that's where the creeds come in. Well, I think we should talk about that next week. There are so many more nuances in this conversation, and if you prefer to listen to the whole interview, you have full access to the whole collection of Roundtable Talks if you are a current student or when you decide to sign up for Israel Bible Center's certificate program in Jewish context and culture. Find us on the web at israelbiblecenter.com or click on the link in the notes at the bottom of this episode. It will only take you three minutes to enroll in the program. Thank you, Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible.